and welcome to the What the What podcast. My name's Eric Creech on the couch today with me, Kyle Whitley. Yeah. And on the What the What line, we have Miss Ashby Brain. How do you do? How do you do? Yes. I was waiting. He was like, maybe she's going to do this. Maybe she's like, nope. Nope. Done. Done. And that don't, was a terrible impression of you, Vagina, whatever, Doubtfire, dear. Yes. <laughs> that was her full name. Yes. We called her. <laughs> We call her Hoovy for short. Yes, Hoovy. Hoovy Doubtfire. Hooventude, yes. Hooventude Guerrero the Doubtfire. Yes. I feel like there's a delay on our end with Ashby. Like, we say something and then like 10 seconds later she's like, oh, y'all said something. I'm going to respond to that. No, there's not a delay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that was on purpose or not. That was four seconds. (laughs) This is even better. Like, I'm hoping it's not, but at the same time. Let's we'll do a podcast. Where April it's Fools! <laughs> the entire episode is four second breaks between every conversation. Oh my goodness! Oh That's my right. God. I mean, I'm excited for this. It's April Fools' Day. You know, I've yet to be tricked. My mother has not called me and tricked me. Usually, she does. Uh, my mom once pulled the worst April Fools' prank ever and woke me up and said, "Come on, Kyle, we got to go." And I was like, "What do you mean we got to go?" She's like, "Don't you remember we're going to Disney World? Come on." It's like, you're too late. Like, you overslept. And then, turns out, it was school day. Oh, that's terrible. I remember being so mad at my mom. I was like, like, I'm not even going to school today. I was like, there's no way. You can't make me go to school today. You woke me up thinking we were going to Disney World, and then now I have to go to school? No, not happening. But then I went to school. That's how things go. Yes. Wow. Have you ever gotten April Fooled? Uh, A few times. A few times. Any good Um, ones? None that I can remember. Me and my brother used to try to pull these really mean ones on my mom. Um, you know, we've been in a wreck. We broke this. Um, yeah, that, uh, we don't recommend those for mm. for your parents, for your mother who worries about your existence every single moment of the day. That's true. So, what about you, Ashby? Have you uh, had any cool April cool or April cool April April cool fool day? <laughs> April Fool's Day um, pranks done to you or done by you? Um, I'm sure I have. I'm terrible at remembering that sort of thing. I like my dad was sort of a jokester every day. So April Fool's wasn't anything really special in our house. I do remember in college, I got um, a henna tattoo and tried to convince him that I had gotten like a tattoo on the back of my neck. (laughs) I sent him a picture and was like, you know, went full Asheville. Look, check out my new tat. First one, maybe not last one, question mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sent it to my family. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. My mom he, would hate um, me for that. She hated my real tattoo, so like it was a bad day for me. So I... um Right, yeah. He, oh, go ahead, Ashley. Go ahead, because I'm about, I'm about to change the subject. So. Don't change well, the subject. Well, I was just going to say, there, like, there were... Okay, there were a lot of things that he was super cool with, but, I, you know, tattoos and... um piercings just that he never could drive with that but um the irony is that at some point i don't know if it was before that april fools or after that april fools i did get my nose pierced for real for real for real and he was not happy about that that was not yeah that was not april fools <laughs> whenever i got my first tattoo my mom didn't talk for me to at least two to three days and i lived with her like so i was still there it was like summer break or something and like 
We lived in the same house. She just was not having it. And then finally she said, let me see it. And so I finally showed her, and then she got upset all over again. And then kind of, I think we were silent again for another day or so. But, hey, we are who we are now. I've got tons of tattoos. She's okay with it. Well, as we all You know, at least for her not feeling, you know, panicky anymore. She realizes I'm not a deviant, that, you know. Right. Not any more of a deviant than you already were. That's true. So, um, I will say we got some news today. Uh, that I thought was an April Fool's joke, and I was hoping it would be an April Fool's joke. And this is not necessarily in the world of pop culture, um, although I guess it could count as nostalgia because he uh, has been around for a while. Uh, but the head coach of the University of North Carolina uh, men's basketball program, Roy Williams, announced his retirement the day, uh, April 1st, the day we're recording this podcast. And um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty saddened by that. Uh, I told Ashby earlier, like I don't want to talk about it, but I, I will say a couple of things just in, I guess, tribute to him. And um, I've never met the man. I don't know him personally, but I've met plenty of people who have. And from handwritten letters that he has sent out to people that he has barely met, wishing them well in their medical endeavors or. Um, or whatever they're be, they've been going through to charity, to money he's donated, to time he's donated. I've, um, I have a very profound sense of respect for him as a person. And uh, the University of North Carolina is losing a fantastic ambassador for the program, but also a fantastic man. So um, thank you, Roy Williams. As a Carolina fan, it's a good day to be a Tar Heel, and we appreciate everything you've done. So. Thank you all for indulging me for two minutes there. I appreciate it. You're not alone. My coworker is a very big Tar. Well, I've got a couple of very big Tar fans. And later this afternoon, she said, oh, my gosh. I was like, what is it? She's like, my husband's in the car texting me. And he said he's bawling sitting in his car in a parking lot. Because I think he was doing his like live um, his press conference. His yeah, press I, was, conference. I was listening so. to it earlier this afternoon. And um, one of the things that really resonated with me at the very end of his press conference, and one of the great things about his press conference is the way he – talks about his former players and all the people who've come through his programs over the years uh, with just a reverence and just a love and a joy and a passion for who they are as men and as, as adults now in the world. Um, and his ending statement before he ended his press conference was, uh, he said, for the rest of my life, I will say I was a coach. And that really hit me like hard in the feels. Like, you know, because he was a coach, how many people – went through the program that he has affected in a positive manner. Um, and as I tend to do, I tend to find myself in things like this. Um, the word coach stuck out to me because we ended our football season this week. And it was my 12th year as a coach. And I, I don't have 48 years like Roy Williams does. Not maybe yet. one, maybe one Not day. Yet. Um, but 12 years, and I, I, I want to have that kind of impact where I can say at the end of the day, for the rest of my life, I will say I'm a, I was a coach, and that's a positive thing. So, all right, so that was two more minutes. Sorry. I'm just going to let you, like, move forward because there's, like, me that's, like, the have funny, be funny, be sarcastic moments that I'm, like, well, that's not a call for a moment right now. No, we're going to move like on. You shut your mouth and you just sit there and let him have his moment. Like, you don't be disrespectful. Yeah, we're going to move on. Thank you for joining us tonight uh, or today, wherever, whenever you're listening to it, um, <laughs> where we can hip-hop, bebop, dance till you drop, and yo-yo, make a mean cup of cocoa. Uh, please follow us and uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, 
or wherever it is you get your podcast. And please rate and review us five stars or take five million. I mean, the dinosaurs are dead, right? Well, you know. So, uh, we also would request that you find us on social media. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram at What the What Media. All one word. And you can also find us on Twitter at WTW underscore media. And please share that with your friends. Uh, follow us on there. Get our numbers up. You know, whatever we need you to do, we would appreciate that. Uh, last week on this podcast, we talked about our favorite TV theme songs. And it was a great time. I can't tell you how many times in the past week I've listened to the Pokemon uh, theme song, especially in the shower, to the point that I'm remembering all the words at this point and I'm shouting them at the top of my lungs in the shower and dancing. Like You're saying you want to be the very best like no one ever was. Yes. Okay. Like, uh, I've even listened or watched covers of the Pokemon theme song on YouTube, uh, metal covers that were actually really good. Uh, I totally recommend that. The fun, I, the funny thing is, last week, uh, the day we did the podcast, the there was an account that I follow, um, Ryukar, who's a video game streamer, but he and his fiance also play the ukulele, mm-hmm. and he had did a previous cover of Ducktales. Mm-hmm. He released a cover of the Pokemon theme song nice. last week while we we were recording. I hadn't watched that. Um, I will go back and find it. It is it is really really just very peaceful sounding. Um, so yeah. But, uh, yeah, we discussed TV theme songs last week, and today we're taking a deep dive. dive. Uh, and, and the pool, you know, it looks very fancy. You probably have to get a credit reference just to jump into this pool, the t- deep dive into this pool. Mm-hmm. This is Mrs. Doubtfire uh, from, I believe, 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about it 28 mm-hmm. years uh, after it came out. A spoiler warning for today's episode. If you have not seen this movie, Mrs. Doubtfire, by uh, starring Robin Williams, Sally Field, uh, we, one, highly recommend you do, but also, it's not a kid movie, mm. <laughs> as we we discussed. So, uh, this is a spoiler alert for you if you've not seen it, um, and also a possible adult content warning for those of you who have not seen this movie as well, mm-hmm. they do discuss some. There, there's some language. There's some very like on the nose innuendos um, in this movie. Um, so mm-hmm. it may not be suitable for your children. Even though we watched it when we were like seven or eight years old, I'm sure. So uh, those references went right mm-hmm. over our head. But you know, they might not with your kids. So we do ask you to take some kind of precaution there. Uh, but we're going to be talking about Mrs. Doubtfire today, and what better way? To start off this podcast with a recap. Now, we haven't discussed who's going to do the recap. So, and everyone, no one's looking at me. <laughs> Literally, Ashby's looking down. Not I'm looking, looking at, at you because you have your phone out always. Like you, uh, You're always ready. My phone's literally on the couch, and I have a cup of coffee in my hand and a microphone in my hand. Here's the so. thing. I don't need my phone. Okay, well, go for it then. I'm going to recap this movie. And probably Don't talk about it. Be about I it. I will be about it. Do it. So... Y'all ready okay. for Okay, we're going to recap this movie. So here we go. Three, two, one, go. Uh, Daniel Hillard, or Hillard, I, I heard Hillard. it both ways. Nope, it's Hillard. No, but I heard it both ways in the movie. They pronounced it wrong in the Hillard. No, no, it doesn't matter if they pronounced it wrong. I've heard it both ways. So uh, Daniel Hillard is a voice actor, uh, and he quits his job. And he and his wife have some marital issues, problems. He's the fun, cool dad who 
you know, kind of goes against the rules and she's just trying to make a living, you know, trying to keep everything in order. And as couples like that, you know, they tend to clash and they decide, well, she decides that she wants a divorce. They go through the court uh, proceedings and Daniel is only allowed to see his kids once a week and it's just not enough to him. Um, He finds out that he's going to have court-supervised visitations where he's got to get a job, he's got to get a suitable living area before they can, I guess, revise those conditions of the joint custody agreement. Well, things aren't going great on that front. I mean, he has an apartment, but it's kind of a dump. Um, You know, he goes to the unemployment office where, you know, he hilariously explains what he does for a living. I do voices. Um, and great montage of him doing all the voices. Um, you want to see my impression of a hot dog? <laughs> um, so he's looking for a job, doesn't have one. And he finds out from his ex-wife or his separated wife, Miranda, that she is putting in an ad, not a personal ad, um, but an ad to find a housekeeper, someone who could watch the kids after school, maybe have dinner ready. And he gets an idea. You know, you can almost see the light bulb go off in his head. And he changes two of the numbers on the ad whenever she's not looking. So no one would be calling her. And then we see a montage of him calling her with all his wonderful voices. And then he finally lands on one character that sounds very pleasant. You know, the previous characters were all nightmares. You wouldn't want to hire them. Uh, they didn't, you know, she couldn't understand them. I am Job. I thought had a great ceiling, you know, to, to that um, to that person. Could have done really well, good things. But she, Miranda, wasn't interested in I am Job. So I don't know. Um, but he settles on this really lovely British uh, older lady. Uh, Yuvavan, how do you say that first name? Ashby, you've been to other countries. How do you say that name? You've a, I don't know, Doubtfire. <laughs> yeah, she's she's frozen. I have no idea. Okay. It has more syllables than I thought it did originally. Uh, I, I don't know it's, what he, in my head it was. He but says it I, so easily, I, and I'm trying to say it now, and I can't yeah. do it. My like, brain's saying Yuva Geneva, but it's like that's not his name at all, or her Yuva name at all. Geneva? Maybe. I don't know. I don't even know if there's a J in there. I don't have it pulled but, up right now. I don't either. Anyway, Mrs. Doubtfire. Doubtfire, dear? Mrs. Beltfire. So then he has to go through the process of looking like an older British woman. So he goes to his brother's house, who is a makeup artist, and they transform him into the title character, Mrs. Doubtfire. She shows up with her British accent. The kids are not interested in this. They want to see their dad. They have, you know, there's three of them. There's an older girl, uh, Liddy. Uh, there's Chris, the middle son, and then the youngest one, little Natalie, uh, played by Mara Wilson. And um, they're just not having it. They don't want to have this British woman be their housekeeper when dad could do it. Sure. Dad's available to pick him up. He doesn't even have a job. He's free. Well, he's a voice actor, but he technically he got fired at the beginning of the movie, so yes. I guess he's not anymore. He does voices. Now, he ends up getting a job um, shipping um, films. He's a shipping clerk at, yep. towards the uh, towards the end. And then he gets a job as... Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, he goes through this, uh, this facade to see his kids more often, so he can keep an eye on his kids. He, you know, this is his way of getting to spend time with his kids, making sure they're doing fine. Because the one thing about him is he's a, he wants to be a good father. 
He loves his kids. He's That's who he crazy is. about his kids. Um, he might not be good at anything else but voices, but he's good at being a dad, um, arguably. So he, uh, we see him spending time with the kids. They're growing to like him a little bit. Um, but we also see Daniel grow a little in his uh, in his life too. He gets the job, he gets the house cleaned up. He's learning how to cook because you know he's Mrs. Doubtfire. He has mm-hmm. to know how to cook. Um, some hilarious moments in there when the um, when the social worker comes over and he is dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. So he has to play it off like, "Oh, this is my oldest older half British sister." Um, you know, sticks his face in a keg. Uh, all all the good stuff. All the good stuff. So comes to a head. Um, the Kids, the two oldest kids, Lydia and Chris, Lydia and Chris, discover that he is, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire is, you know, their dad. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris walks in on Mrs. Doubtfire standing at the toilet in the restroom and, well, surprise. that's not how that works usually. So, um, so, but they vow to keep a secret. Meanwhile, uh, their mom, Miranda, meets uh, 007. Not yet. Well, not yet. Pierce Brosnan um, shows up as Stu, or Stuart, and he is clearly very interested in her. And before she even separated with her husband, she was interested in him too. <laughs> like one of my notes, uh, by the way. Um, so whatever. Uh, but Mrs. Doubtfire slash Daniel does not like that at all. Obviously, he's trying to do everything he can to thwart that relationship, including a drive-by fruiting. For sure. I mean, that happens. You know, I don't think I've ever thrown. Well, I've thrown an orange or an, I've thrown apples before. in middle school, and I didn't get caught. Yeah. It's a horrible waste of juice. Yep. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's how you make juice. You throw it at somebody. Oh, loser. <clears throat> what are you looking at? All right, anyway. So, uh, in the cl- uh, towards the end of the movie, Daniel ends up impressing the um, CEO or the owner of the film studio uh, with his impressions. And he schedules a meeting with him at Bridges Restaurant, mm-hmm. 7 o'clock Friday night. Well, Miranda's birthday is coming up, and she invites Mrs. Doubtfire to Bridges Restaurant, 7 o'clock Friday night. So it's the classic, got to be in two places at once, but it's actually the same place, but you're actually two different characters scenario. Um, so he goes as Mrs. Doubtfire, and then he'll go to the bathroom, and he'll change clothes, and he'll be Daniel. Then he'll go back, and he'll be Mrs. Doubtfire. And he goes back, and he's Mrs. Doubtfire, but he talks like Daniel. <laughs> and, you know, everything's just getting messed up. He, um, he tells his, new, his boss, you know, hey, this is the character of your new show. This is Ms., Mrs. Doubtfire, the hip-hop granny. Um, and while he's doing that, well, to get some, I guess, revenge on Stuart, uh, he went to the kitchen, and Stuart apparently is allergic to pepper. pepper. Yes. And so he sprinkles some cayenne pepper on his shrimp meal, which causes 007 to choke. And Mrs. Doubtfire think, is thinking, oh, my God, I killed him. Help is on the way, dear! And runs to the restaurant just impressively, gives him the Heimlich Maneuver, which causes his facial mask to fall off, and it's revealed that he is... Daniel, Miranda's ex-husband. This leads to the judge saying, hey, we recommend mental, you know, health training, and we're going to do this, you're going to do this once a week with supervised um, visitation for a year, and it just crushes Daniel. Um, Him and Miranda have a talk on the set, um, and it's revealed at the end of the movie that they've worked it out where 
he, Daniel, will pick up the kids every day after school as he wanted to do at the beginning of the movie. Um, and he ends up getting a new children's show as Mrs. Doubtfire. All is well in the world. So there's your, there's your recap. That was very, very quality recap. I try, I try. But wait, there's more. There was a post-credit scene. I'm just kidding. There was no (laughs) post-credit scene. This is 1993. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, we we didn't have this movie on the Mm -hmm. calendar originally. But I know, Kyle, you're a big fan of Robin Williams. Yep. Uh, me and Ashby, we love the guy. Uh, you know, I don't think we're as big as fans as you are, but we we still really enjoy his work. Um, I don't think anyone could, you know, compare to your fandom. Oh, I'm sure there's multiple but, uh, out there. But I don't know all the history and such. But we, you know, this movie. I don't know how it came up in our talk last week, but it was decided. Yeah, let's just do Mrs. Doubtfire. That's a great movie. That's a fantastic mm-hmm. movie. And. How do you feel about it now? I mean, for for me, this was the first time I've seen this movie in at least fifteen years. Um, I don't know how long y'all your layovers were with the movie, but how do you feel about this movie now? Do you enjoy it now? Do you enjoy it as much as you did back when you were a kid? I mean, what are your thoughts on this movie? We'll go with you first, Kyle, and then Ashby. You'll be next. Um, I don't know when the last time I was previously. I feel like it was more recent, or you know, or at least in the last few years, anyway. Um, before we even get started, just like Elephant in the Room, this is a much more adulthood rated movie. <laughs> like, yeah, at least movie in general, not necessarily the rating, but it's a lot more adult themed than I remember as a child. Uh, April Phillips had commented on our post online yesterday and mentioned that where they got it out of the, like the five dollar bin and they were able to watch it together with their little girls and everything, and within like fifteen minutes, I had to turn it off because they didn't realize what it was compared to whenever we were. And she brought up a good point as, you know, we may have seen it as kids on television. And if it was on television, most likely it was edited in ways that took a lot of these things out that we did not realize were in there. Um, And so we only saw, you know, there's still, I'm sure we're different, you know, some touchy subjects and stuff, but you know, they edited, especially for being, you know, mid nineties, probably by the time it made it to television, they probably edited it a lot to make it safe for television, because you got to think even back then, like cuss words on television were very bare minimum, um, so there was a lot of stuff that just couldn't have even made it to television. So for that, I really, because I felt like I saw it really young, but my thoughts were I had to at least probably been mid nineties, because I doubt knowing my age in ninety three, so I'd been like six or so, my parents wouldn't have taken me to a PG thirteen movie at that age. Um, and I feel like ratings probably vary a little bit back then compared to now. Cause there's even like PG movies that you go back and watch now and you're like, Oh wow. How did that receive a PG rating? Like that's crazy. Um, but other than that, back to the movie, I really enjoy it. Obviously like I'm a big Robin Williams fan. He's my favorite actor. So being able to just dive into this was just awesome You know, for me. It was just not a, a working thing. It was just like, Hey, just jump in and really just enjoy this movie all over again. Uh, I will say, like, and I'm starting to see this with some of the other movies that we're going back and watching that we haven't really at least paid close attention to since our childhood, is whenever we actually sit down and watch these and focus on these, like, it gets to a much deeper level than what we ever dealt with as a childhood, or as children. And I think part of that's just where we grow up, and we have experiences in life, and we go through things, so all of a sudden we're able to relate a little bit more with the older characters than we were with the younger characters as children. Uh, so I definitely, I still love it. I think it definitely holds up. 
there's some questions I have about it. We won't necessarily get into those right now, but for me, it's definitely a movie that I still love to watch. I definitely sing it again, you know, when I have a little girl and you know, I have to kind of watch, you know, age appropriate timing to watch things like that. But, um, yes, I enjoyed it. Still love the movie. Still find it very funny. Um, and I definitely think it's one of Rob Williams' greatest things that he ever got to do. What do you think, Ashby? Yeah, I don't think I've seen this movie since I was seven. <laughs> and <laughs> it was definitely, definitely not like I remember. Um, I guess maybe I had seen it on TV and it was a sanitized version of it. Um, there was a lot that stood out to me as a kid from a child's perspective, but, and I honestly, to, to be fair though, I could have watched it like with my grandparents or something because Mm -hmm. they let me watch a lot more adult things and not like necessarily super inappropriate, but they wanted me to have a lot of cultural depth. And so like I watched the birdcage at a very young age Mm -hmm because they wanted me to see people living different places, different ways than, you know, I was used to. And so I, you know, who knows, who knows how I came across it, but it has been a hot second since I watched it. And it's, it's almost the same thing as Mr. Holland's opus where you're just like my age precluded me from understanding 50% of what was happening in this movie. And then as an adult, you watch it and you get, the hundred percent and you're like this is a totally different movie mm-hmm. <laughs> practically 100%. so it's like the the people i thought were the good guys aren't necessarily the good guys and the people i thought are the bad guys aren't necessarily the bad guys and it's all like very messy mm-hmm. and it's way funnier because you get the adult humor in it now so i i thoroughly enjoyed watching it it was definitely laugh out loud funny and I'm sure that I found it funny as a kid, but it's just much different. I realize now that the the humor in it really was meant for adults. Mm-hmm. I think, like for me, I, I enjoyed the movie. Obviously, I think I still think it's a fantastic movie. Um, I think for us as kids, the appeal was the guy who played the genie in Aladdin, Robin Williams, doing his funny voices, and that's why we look back on it with some fond memories. He, it's the same guy dressing up in, in, you know, he's dressing up kind of funny because, um, you know, he's using a British accent. And he's making a lot of funny jokes with his funny voices. And that's why it's appealable to mm-hmm. us. Um, and as an adult, you realize, wait, there's some serious stuff here. Sure. Like, there's some really bleak and dark stuff. Um, the language is not great, obviously, for kids. Um, but, yeah, I, um, I really enjoyed the movie, obviously. Um, it was a little bit of a culture shock uh, whenever I, um, I, st- I first started watching it um, because in, in the first scene where Robin Williams is doing his great Pudgy the Parrot uh, voiceover um, with the cat or whatever, and he gets into the argument about smoking, and he's asking the guys in the back, you know, if they agree with him. And they're all smoking up in, the, you know, it's like you would never see that in 2021 mm-hmm. or 2013 or I would even say 2003. Uh, that I mean, that's very outdated where everyone's just smoking away in the early 90s. And, and they're inside the studio. And they're inside the studio. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, um, and Robin Williams was kind of like, you know, his character in that moment was a 
um, you know, like a kind of ahead of the time where he's like, yeah, we shouldn't be promoting smoking to children. <laughs> and, you know, here, here's a pack of cigarettes. Kids, light up. Um, but so the, from that first scene moving on, just that was like just a really jarring eye opener to how 90s this film mm-hmm. really is. Um, and I know we do, you know, nostalgic mm-hmm. movies and stuff, but that to me, this movie screams 90s. I mean, from House of Pain being played in that next scene, uh, jump around, <laughs> jump up, jump up and get down, jump, jump. Yeah. Um, there's like mobile petting zoos. Those were a thing, apparently. <laughs> well, you also, because they're where? San Francisco? I'm assuming. I think that's where they're at. I know they're in California, at least, like. So, and they're in a different type of area. Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. So, it's a much different location. So, I imagine they had mobile petting zoos because, honestly, they probably didn't have areas to set them up. Whereas, we're in the country and have, you know, just farms. Yeah. Um, so, from from that, um, like those are just a couple of examples of things that were just kind of jarring to me. Um, I guess we can kind of move, like, this section along to, like, what you liked about the movie or what kind of stood out to you. Um, because we don't really have a script tonight anyway. Like, I figured we would just talk about the themes of the movie and, you know, whatever else we wanted to talk about. Um, but I will say this. Um, and this, I don't know if we're doing a fun facts or trivia section in this podcast or not, but if so, I'm going to go ahead and steal one of mine. Originally, this movie was going to have a happier ending where Daniel and Miranda got together. And Robin Williams fought, fought that and said, no, they need to stay apart because that's real life. You know, um, and I I, yeah. I I appreciate that. Like, I hate it as someone who has parents who have separated. Um, like, I wish at every mom and dad stayed together. Um, but I appreciate the fact that they did not try to sugarcoat this for the kids who may have been watching. And, in fact, they put a little scene at the end as Mrs. Doubtfire, Robin Williams, is explaining sometimes – you know, moms and dads are just better people when they're not with each other, and it doesn't mean they don't love you. It just means they don't. They, you know, they have grown apart from each other, but they still love you. And uh, I really like that. Really resonated with me. Um, I'm glad they kept that in. Well, I made a note about that th- this week sometime, or, and this was before I went looking for fun facts. But it was, I was glad they did it. Especially like in that time period where like you go back and watch a lot of these nostalgic movies from our childhood, there's always the super happy ending. Like Yep. And there and this movie is built to the point where it could obviously take that turn and it could work that way. Because there's a part at the end of the movie while I was watching it the other day and it kinda hit me where it's like they really could just kinda get back together now at this point. But I'm glad they didn't. Um if you go back and look at the fun facts too and the history of it, they even they had asked the original writer to write it in that they got back together. And they, the person stood strongly against it, said, no, like that's not what's best for this. He even quit. He's like, I'm not going to do that. So they hired somebody else to come on and write that, that scene, that finishing moment where they get back together. And once the studio and Christopher Columbus got a chance to all read it, they're like, no, this isn't right. They, yeah. they, they do have to, you know, to split up. Um, I don't know. I just felt like that's a good point. I feel like, Especially, I mean, like you say, I wish all parents, you know, had great relationships and they could all stay together. But they approached a topic that not, you know, many at the time especially had covered or dealt with. But, you know, between dealing with their own kids, dealing with the struggle of splitting between the parents. But then, like I said, that final scene where it's Mrs. Doubtfire talking 
to is it Poppet? Like the name of I think like mm-hmm. it's pretty much a puppet, but yeah. um and explaining I think maybe she was reading a letter. I think it was the kid had written a letter in <laughs> and he was reading the letter out loud and the kid was talking about their parents and like do they not love me anymore or whatever the situation is. And he does an amazing job of explaining it and I feel like that scene itself wraps the entire movie up from whatever you've seen go through all these different scenes and how it gets to that point. So great point on your part. Yeah, one of the things I really enjoyed about the movie, and it it really sort of comes to fruition at the very end when they give the speech about that all families can look different. And as long as there's love there, it doesn't really matter what, you know, what a family looks like. Um, But I thought that they sort of did a really good job subtly of working that in a little bit throughout the movie because it's very clear from almost the beginning that Daniel has this um, brother, Frank, and then Frank has a life partner named Jack and that they live and work together. And that's who he goes to once he gets kicked out of the house by Miranda. And it's who he goes back to when he needs to be made into Mrs. Doubtfire because his um, brother and his brother's boyfriend do prosthetics and things for you know movies or whatever and one of my favorite lines from the movie is when frank um you know opens the door and uh, daniel's like i need you to make me a woman and he's like honey honey. i'm so happy (laughs) and he's like i knew you would understand (laughs) and they have this like wonderful montage that's also one of my favorite parts in the movie um, because it includes some amazing show tunes Matchmaker, um, matchmaker, make yes. me a match. Find me, oh, uh, uh, find me a fine. Catch me a catch. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love. That's one of my favorite Broadway like show tunes. Speaking of my grandparents, who introduced me to a lot of culturally like you know diverse things, they took me to see Fiddler on the Roof probably like no less than five times. <laughs> so um, I've I love that that musical and then they do um don't rain on my parade from funny girl because he looks a little bit like barbara streisand in that Mm. scene so anyway i i really love that from the beginning it's clear that not only does you know daniel end up having a family that looks a little different that he sort of comes from a family that looks a little different and it it's also really clear that daniel and his mother who sort of has like an off-screen you know scene while she's on the phone with frank are supportive of frank and could care less that he's gay and you know love jack and and then later when the two oldest siblings discover that their father is mrs doubtfire they sort of ask him how he managed to become her and he says oh it was your uncle frank and your aunt jack and they're just like oh yeah that makes sense (laughs) so i really like the the diversity in this movie and i know that it's a little bit easier to have things like that because it's set in san francisco in the 90s which san francisco has always been a very like open and accepting and welcoming city but um I really, I really love the scenes that involve um, Frank and Jack, especially. So, yeah. Well, I think it just goes on to even, I don't know, just how accepting they are of his dad in that moment. Because, like, there's a little bit where um, the his son, what's his son's name? Chris. Chris. I wanted to keep saying Jack because you had said Jack. And I was like, that's not his name. But um, 
just in the scene that he finds out about, you know, his dad dressing up as a woman, he's very like unsure about that and it's different. But at the same time, once, you know, they get past that, they're very much like, I'm thankful we get to be with our dad. Um, and I know it had to be right. tough too, because as he comes in, you know, being Mrs. Doubtfire, he has to all of a sudden very much change who he's been as a dad. He has to be more responsible. He has to make sure his kids are actually doing what they're supposed to and not just watching TV or doing whatever they want to do. He comes in much stricter and, you know, tries to be almost, you know, what his wife had wanted him to be all this time. Um, and not to like necessarily sway super fast into something else, but it made me think about some of my nitpicks for this movie. And nothing's like hard, but it just, there was parts that made me think. It's like, how did they end up together to begin with? Um, as far as, you know, Daniel and, uh, what's her name? Miranda. Miranda. Sally Fields. But Miranda Fields. Hillard. Hillard, yeah. But just how did they end up mm-hmm. together? Because uh, they're very different, like very much different. It's, you know, and it's the same way. People can mature and grow different and you grow apart and, you know, but it just very much comes across as he is a very, very chill, relaxed person. And she is a very like person, you know, and it's, and it's not to talk junk about her either. She's just a very successful businesswoman that takes her job very serious. And, you know, and she has to be the serious one with the kids. Um, we were watching it the other week and Erica looked at me and said, you know, that's totally you as a dad, like in certain scenes. But at the same time, like, even I in the beginning scene was, like, even frustrated with him. Like, how did you plan to come home and throw this entire party with animals and then have it cleaned up before she gets home? Like, so there's the part of me that's like, that's, you know, right. where's your brain at in these moments? Yeah, Way to communicate with your wife there, Daniel. <laughs> yes. Uh, but to see how that goes. Um, yeah. And I was honestly, there's the part of the end, in the same way, it's, you know, I hated to jump straight to nitpicks, too. But it was just stuff that was on my mind as we were talking is... How likely is it that they would allow him to be Mrs. Doubtfire on television? And I don't mean that as a man dressing as a woman, but I mean that as a man who has literally been to court now because of him dressing like a woman, been you know, recommended for psychiatric care. And then they're still like, oh, but you do it so well. Here's your TV show. I actually think that's one of the more realistic things about the movie because as we've seen in the real world, as long as someone makes you money, true, that can kind of sweep away a lot of bad things you may have done. I just think like in my mind it was more of like a public access television like channel. So it made me wonder about that. But like like you say, yeah. I, it makes sense to be, you know, that makes money. And plus, I don't know. There was a lot deeper situation to it other than, oh, this man's been to court and recommended for psychiatric care. You know, there's, there's the truth right. behind all that matter. Um, and how that works out to you. Right. Right. Um, I, as a side note, mm-hmm. now that we've kind of brought it up a little bit, I want to live in an, that alternate world where Robin Williams succeeds Mr. Rogers yes. as Mrs. Doubtfire and fills that role on children's television. I think it's fantastic. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the vibe mm-hmm. I got watching him doing his little show on, in the movie was he was basically a reimagined mm-hmm. version of Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. Um so. And not to jump all around, mm-hmm. but you had said something earlier, and, and then by saying that again, it made me realize, like, I fell in love with Robin Williams as a child because of all the different things I saw in between this. Hook had just previously come out as well. Uh, there was other, you know, between Aladdin and everything else, but he was, ended up doing a lot of parts of our childhood that it wasn't until I was probably, like, high school, college age that I, like, found some of his stand-up comedy and was like, whoa, like, this is a lot more adult theme than I ever remember him being. 
And at the same time, you go back and listen to these things. Now it's like, no, this is it was there. You just missed it as a child. Um, same way I go back and watch Mork and Mindy now because I feel like I've found him from there from watching Happy Days as a kid and then that evolving into Mork and Mindy as well. And you go back and watch that. It was on Hulu. I don't know if it still is, but the show's hilarious. But it's the same way. He has little things. It's just Robin Williams and the way he is and throws it in there. Um, that if you don't catch it, you don't catch it. But if you do, you very much do. Um, so that's not a new pick. It was just, it made me think about how in the world did that ever evolve in my life where all of a sudden he was just like my favorite person, you know, actor, comedian. But back to, you know, your alternate universe or real universe. Well, we can go uh, back into some more nitpicks or some more things we enjoyed about the movie. I mean, yeah, this is kind way. of a free-flowing conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if we're going to talk about, it's not really a nitpick. This is more like a comment on the story. And I think I made mm-hmm. a comment earlier Um and I don't know if this was an intentional choice um, or if it just came off that way. Um, but early on, before we ever see the first interaction between Daniel and Miranda, you knew there was going to be problems by the way she responded to the fact that a Stuart Dunmire mm. is wanting to meet with her. Like, she immediately got this light in her eyes. Like... Oh, I remember him from college or wherever it was they previously knew each other. And it was just a, like, oh, like, you know, there was just this feeling about, like, you know, you could tell if you, if you, you wouldn't have known she was married at that time just looking at her reaction to that, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it. Um, but then she gets home and she gets obviously mad at Daniel for throwing a, you know, mobile petting zoo party with a noise ordinance and a, you know, whatever that, by the way, side note again, worst neighbor ever. I mean, <laughs> which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as someone who's had their neighbors call the cops on me for a noise ordinance because I was working on my flooring at night, um, I'm just not a fan of, mm-hmm. you know, neighbors who call the cops on nonviolent offenders. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, um, but um, I don't know, like, they said that they planted that seed of, her being interested in Stu, a.k.a. 007, early on before they even got divorced. And I don't know, there was a part of me that maybe that didn't sit right with me or I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I how to kind of explain how I felt about her getting giddy about meeting, you know, with someone while she's still married to a guy that she doesn't want to be married to. I don't know. Uh, Ashby, you want to help me out? Tell me if I'm in the wrong here. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Kyle, either one. I'll let Ashby go first. So, one of the things that I really enjoyed about watching this movie the second time around is it's it's messy like life. And being an adult is just like a thousand different shades of gray, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, when I was a kid, if you had asked me, my opinion of this movie after having watched it as a child, I would say that, you know, Miranda was the mean mommy and, you know, Daniel was the fun dad and Stu was this like creepy guy trying to come into their lives. And he was a bad guy. Um, And that's sort of like on the surface, how it's posed. And I'm sure that's also to a certain extent, what the kids are sort of led 
to feel, Mm -hmm. you know, because their dad is the fun dad. And now they're being told that they can't see him. And it's, I'm sure they feel like it's their mom's fault. Like she's somehow taken their father away from them. And then this, you know, this guy comes in who seems really nice, but you know, he's new and now he's suddenly a part of their mom's life. And like, who is he? But as an adult now watching this movie from the very beginning, I, I sympathize with Miranda and I'm not saying that she, that she's totally right in this movie. I think she has her faults like any woman, but from the very beginning, it's very clear that she for many, many years has had to be the disciplinarian Mm -hmm. and it's always hard. And there will always be resentments when one parent gets to be the fun parent and the other parent is left to be the structured, organized, disciplinarian Mm. parent. And so the way that Daniel is acting and the way that he's parenting has already set Miranda up for failure, basically. Her kids think that she's mean and she's not fun. And, you know, I, I sympathize with her. Like, the fact that she works what is clearly a very high paying, very professional job that's mm-hmm. keeping this family afloat with this nice house in downtown San Francisco while he loses job after job. And then she comes home and she's resented because she talks about how it's not clean and dinner's not on the table and there's a llama in the kitchen. Like, you know, I don't think her expectations are unreasonable. I don't know. Having um, a llama in so the kitchen is a pretty that, reasonable request. I'm just kidding, Ash. We keep, keep I ha- not having not having a llama in the kitchen. Anyway, so <laughs> so that that really struck me. And then we get into Pierce Brosnan's character, Stu. And I keep waiting for the shoe to drop. Like I keep waiting for him to do or say something that backs up my memory of him being the bad guy. Right. So I keep waiting for him to be skeezy or for him to say something disparaging about the kids. Right. And he never does. And to be fair from Stu's point of view, he doesn't make any romantic overtures to Miranda until she tells him that she's going through a divorce. So initially, even if he's a little curious and even if he's a little interested, he comes into that office wanting a business relationship with her and then decides that when it's appropriate, he'll ask for more. So then he starts taking her out. Then he gives her, you know, the bracelet and he takes those kids to the pool and then you know that the guy at the bar is like oh mister i'm never gonna have kids dating a woman with all this baggage and that's his moment to be the cool guy right to be like Mm -hmm. yeah you know am i right like kids ish but like she's a dime or whatever like to say something really gross sure and he says you know i I've changed my mind. Maybe I do want to be a dad and maybe I can be a force for good in these kids' lives because all he knows about Daniel is what Miranda's told him, which is probably that he can't keep a job and that he can't stay in their lives and that he can't do things right. And so he says, I want to be like someone who's, who's good for these kids Mm -hmm. and I care about them, you know? And so you're like, wait a second, he's, not the bad guy (laughs) and so then you realize that like all of these adults are just failing and trying and failing and trying and that that's how it works you know Mm -hmm. um 
And Honestly, I know that oh. there's some that like some I do agree with you, Eric, that there seems to be a little weirdness with Miranda where like she's sort of suffered in silence for decades, one would assume. And right. like now that this Pierce Brosnan looking man has come into her life, she's like, I want a divorce. But I mean, I, you know, who knows how all of those things build over time. And I, I mean, I could definitely fault her for some things, but on the other hand, there's some things that I'm just like, yeah, I would also be at my wits end. <laughs> I think you bring up an excellent, excellent point. Um, one that I honestly, I mean, I think I've considered it, but it hasn't really been at the forefront until just now um, of the, major characters in this movie. You have Miranda, you have Daniel, and then you have four innocent characters in the middle. You have the three kids, and you have Stuart, who is just trying to be a good guy. And, you you, you know, he yeah. he's not done anything wrong. Um, you mentioned the scene at the pool where he could have just said, no, I'm just, you see, I mean, you see who that is? Ha, 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 wink, wink. He's like, no, three terrific kids, right. three wonderful kids. I'm crazy about him, especially the little one. Um, like he he he's done nothing wrong, and it's just Daniel or Robin Williams' character, honestly being insecure or being still a little hurt over mm-hmm. the divorce because he clearly still loves his wife and his kids, and he he won't, still wants that life, and he reacts irrationally. Obviously, he's dressing up like a British woman, <laughs> but you know he acts out in anger. Um, he does take it a step too far, in my opinion, when they go to Bridges and he puts pepper on the guy's meal knowing he's allergic. <laughs> it's like, that's, like yes. you said, adults failing over yes. and over and over. And here we go. We got a nice guy in the middle. You know, usually the rich, you know, rich boy, you know, new boyfriend's usually the jerk. But no, he's just, he's just a good guy <laughs> who almost dies because Robin Williams wants to kill him. <laughs> I, mean, right. I think a lot of it. The, is the framework of what was around as children. Like when we were kids in the nineties, like you have the, the fun dad, the fun guy, the fun character that, you know, you just automatically love because you can see the passion and the love he has for his kids. But then you see the rich person come into play, you know, this real very opposite of what he is a very, you know, straightforward person, a very, you know, m- you know, masculine suit wearing, you know, hair, just perfect. Everything with a British accent. Very true. Uh, and so, automatically, especially as a child, it's very easy to be like, oh, he's the villain. He's coming in and stealing his kids. And it's like, no, not really. You know, As adults, we see this very differently. Um, as a child's movie that technically it was made to be, I can understand like wh- why you would get that. But I think a lot of that comes from us growing up and being, you know, having our own lives and going through things that we watch these movies now and we relate in such a different way. Because I look at that first scene, you know, where we've talked about her in the office you know, with her reaction to Daniel calling and everything else or the neighbor calling, you, you're right. You can tell that there's been years and years of this where this has happened. You know, always she gets, you know, she's the one that has to be serious. She's the one that doesn't get to have the fun. She's the one that always has to have the arguments with her kids to get them to do anything and not having the supportive partner to help them, you know, back her up. Um, in the midst of all this, she hears a name of someone from her past that she had somewhat of a relationship or a fling or at least a crush on. And I feel like that's the same way for any of us. If we, you know, we haven't seen some people in a bit, you know, however long as that person for us is just what that last memory of them was. 
So we don't even know, you know, the characteristics of what Stu's done in the past however many years, you know, since she's seen him. But in that moment, you can only look back and see all the amazing, great things of that person. You know, age has that effect on us where we look back on our memories. And for the most part, unless it was a very bad situation, we look back and see the really good moments. And we tend to let all the other kind of just slide away, especially thinking about the character of people. Uh, And so especially if you had a fling or had a crush on somebody and you're in the midst of a horrible relationship, you know, relationships just not working. It's always on its out anyway. And then that comes along. It's going to cross your mind and you're going to think like, oh man, I remember him being amazing and he was so nice and he was so this, that, and the other. So when he does come into the room, that's what's on her mind. That's where she's fresh at. That's where like, she's just jumped back, you know, how old, you know, her oldest daughter, we imagine somewhere in high school, you know, she just jumped back that many years at least, you know, in history to a part where she's been before with this person. Um, there's that same way I feel like as a child or just you're, you're rooting for Robin Williams or for Daniel. So whenever, you know, she first starts talking to him and they kind of have their little moment of, you know, flirting with each other that you're like, hold up. Like you're, you know, this is your husband. This is this, this. but I get it. Like I understand, you know, as an adult now and watching it in the same way, like the more we talk about this, it sounds more and more worse for like Robin Williams character, but we're just kind of touching the base on all these other yeah, characters. Like at the, Right. And at the end, I also remember being really upset that like, she just let the court take the kids from him. Mm -hmm. Like she knows that despite all of Daniel's faults, that he's not a D like he doesn't need supervised visits and she just lets it happen. And she eventually admits she was wrong. And, and I get how that, like originally that was kind of upsetting to me, but I started thinking about it and I was like, how violated would I feel if I realized that my ex-husband had been talking to me about him for months Mm. as this masquerading as this woman. So like she realizes that every conversation she's ever had with Mrs. Doubtfire was Daniel And they talked about Daniel and she shared really deep personal things about herself with Mrs. Doubtfire. And I, I just would feel like so violated. And so I get why it takes her a while to sort of like come back down from that, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And so then, uh, you know, again, it's like every single character in this movie, I could, I could make like a, a long list of like pros and cons for their sure. actions and their attitudes. <laughs> it's like their motivations. It's so complicated. Yes. And I would even go so far to like of all the characters. I know Sally Fields, Miranda is painted as, you know, just this not fun loving person, but in Robin Williams, Daniel is obviously, you know, the dad we want to have everyone to have blah, blah, blah. But he is a jerk uh, directly to mm-hmm. Stu um, and in about Miranda mm-hmm. to Stu. I mean, there's a couple of scenes um, where, you know, he's trying to, like, get Stu to, like, reveal, like, how far they've gone. And he's just – he's spreading you – know, he, he says 
literally saying, I hope you bring the cocktail sauce. She's got the crabs, dear. And I don't mean, I mean, it's like, that's terrible. Like, why yes. Why would you say that about he your ex-wife? He says awful things. Um, you know, he, um, he right. tells Stu, the, moment, the first moment he meets this guy, you know, like face-to-face, he damages his car, by the way, um, and mm-hmm. the Mercedes, and you tell Stu, oh, off your Mercedes, dear. You own that big, expensive car out there? Oh, dear. Well, they say a man who has to buy a big car like that is trying to compensate for smaller genitals. I mean, my, and that's in front of, I mean, Kids that's in front of Miranda and everybody. It's like, my yes. goodness. Yes. <laughs> I feel like part of it, too, though, is. And then he. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say he asked Miranda as Mrs. Doubtfire how he was in bed. He was okay. Like, what? Like, just, just okay. She was, yeah, she was like, you know, he was like on a scale of one to 10. And she was like, well, that part was always okay. It's like, just okay. Like, yeah, some of the stuff that she does or that he does as Mrs. Doubtfire is like super questionable. Well, I feel like, too. I always try to look at things from multiple sides, and honestly, you're watching a movie, so there's it's kind of you can't do that, but so much. But it makes me think about, you know, even if it was just us and our girlfriends, or our boyfriend, or our wife, or husband, or whatever, if someone else is coming in the picture, you finally are realizing like all the times you messed up and how you've screwed up, and it's just too far gone. You can't get that back, and then especially I imagine too with like the whole kid situation, you can't get that when somebody else comes into the picture that has a nice job, you know, or obviously has, you know, money because of the car he drives. He's very, you know, well to do about himself. Um, whenever he comes into the scene, it's the same way that we would want to interact with somebody that was taking our loved one away from us too. Not to say to the extremes, but it's a movie, so there's extremes. Uh, but just it makes me think about, you know, the next boyfriend or girlfriend that, you know, your significant other started having after you two broke up. And say you broke up where it was the way that you still cared about this person and you wanted this to work out. Why couldn't this work out? If you were forced to be around that person, you'd probably be a jerk too. Oh, uh, I, well, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, that's why I tend not to be around those people. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. You didn't disguise yourself to go be around them. Um, yes. <laughs> I think, though, like to get back a little bit more, maybe from the non seriousness a little bit to this movie um, and to get back to a little bit more of the fun side of it is. And I say that because it's just it's all of what you make it to be when you watch this movie. But there's just so many scenes that's classic, you know, and I hate to say just Robin Williams, but it's you get to see how good an actor he is. You get to see what he's capable of. Um, and in that, you get to see almost just how he is as a dad for these kids. He's able to, you know, figure out what they need each individually to make them happy, you know, to make them laugh, to know these moments with them. But you can tell, like, even when she comes, and back to the seriousness, but whenever Miranda shows up for the first time as apartment, she shows up early to go and get the kids. It's the only day he's allowed to see them. And then even in the midst of that, like, the conversations they have in front of their children is not good. Not great. No, and, like, obviously by what his daughter, like, youngest daughter repeats out and everything else. Like his GD kids, too. And so, but it's just the he things that say the darndest things. For sure. Um <laughs> I don't know. It's it's tough because I want to bring it back to lightheartedness. Like, this is a comedy from the 90s. Laugh about it instead of being so serious. But there's just so much of it. I feel like us as individuals that grew up in the 90s and now we are adults ourselves, we look back and, you know, we love these things from our childhood and then we love them 
and appreciate it in such a different way, it's hard to like just comment on the, oh, I remember seeing this as a kid, and it was fun, and I loved it so much, and it was very funny because he dressed as a woman and did these things. Like It's so much deeper than that in the way it's portrayed. Um, and I want to say even like it was advertised as that. It was advertised as this man dresses, you know, as a woman to, you know. They got Aerosmith playing the theme song. Yeah, do looks like a lady and everything else. Uh, and it's so crazy how some of these movies that were presented in such a way that was just funny, you know, and everything else that as all these years later, we can come back and look at it and see it for what it, what it is. And it makes me think, like, did our parents watch this movie and be like, oh, I understand these things in such a deeper level than what our kids are laughing at right now. Or did some of it just go over their heads too, just because, you know, how things went? I don't know. I I don't know either. Um, I I will, I don't know. I can't really speak for my parents other than, you know, I saw a lot of my parents in this movie because Mm -hmm. my parents fought in front of us all the time too. So I, I I get that. I didn't, you know, I see the side of it too where my mom was most of the time having to be the serious one. And my dad was the one that was the fun one. And so, you know, if he had to get serious, he could. And, you know, over time they shared roles in that. But any time I got in trouble, I was more so hoping to be on my dad's side than I was my mom's side. So I can see that as an adult now, how stressful that was, even on my mom, you know, and how I could cause problems for my mom. I can't imagine my dad dressing up, you know, as an older lady. But, like, either way, I mean, it's just... There's an image. Yeah. (laughs) Love you, Doug. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's um, let's uh get back to like some lighthearted conversation. Um, I tried, and then I took it right back dark all over again. Was there a particular moment or scene or quote or anything that made you laugh? Like, what was the most memorable laughing moment of the movie for you, Ashby? You want you want to start with this, or I'm trying to think. There were so many good lines. I'm trying to think what was the. What made me like legitimately laugh out loud? Like you know, some examples. Um, I mean, obviously it's in bad taste now, but him throwing the the I was saying exactly the same thing at uh, you know at 007, hit him in the back of the head, and just mm-hmm. I saw it, I saw it. It was a run by fruiting, and just how smooth and quick he was with that. Where it's just he says it, it leaves his hand, hits him, and all of a sudden he stands up out of his chair. He's like, "Oh my gosh, did you not see this man? Did you run not tip? Him? Did you not tip very well? It was <laughs> yes. someone from the wait staff." I mean, <laughs> so I, I thought of that. I also thought about the first scene where he's voicing both characters in that cartoon, the the bird mm-hmm. and the cat, and he's doing. You know, it, it opens up. Figaro, hey Figaro! I mean, just like he's singing, and then you know he uh, he's doing the voice of the parrot, and he's doing the voice of the cat, and then he just goes off script, and it's it's just hilarious. Um, his random voices montage uh, mm-hmm. when he's trying to get a job, um, and then just seeing him like so do his, do his probably, thing. That's probably my favorite scene when I think about it. That made me laugh out loud the hardest because. My dad doesn't do voices, so like most of that scene did not remind me of Ernie Bryan, but the very mm. end of it did where he goes, I do a great impression of a hot dog, and then he just <laughs> leaves back. Well, and then <laughs> whenever she's dead, Mr. Hiller, do you consider yourself funny? Yes, that, that yeah, line. Yeah, so the... Yeah, the other part definitely reminded me of my dad because he's like, she's like, do you consider yourself humorous? And then he goes... I used to. There was a time when I found myself funny, but today you have proven me wrong. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, as a kid, I remember like 
cracking up at his interaction with his boss at the film company. Like, not the, the main CEO, but his, his shipping boss, where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's, yes. um, you know, being led around to the warehouse, and he's like, ooh, films, well, I'll be introducing these on the air. And he's like, well, not exactly. Uh, See, so you take these boxes and you ship them. And you take these over here and you ship them, and then more will come in. You take those, you ship them. Or you box those, you ship them. Any questions? And Robin's like, after I box them, <laughs> you ship them. Yep. And he's like, I think I made a friend. Um, but also, when he get, he's watching, uh, like, Robin Williams, uh, this is one of the things, I, I mean, I, I'm having to, like, wonder, like, how much of this was scripted mm-hmm. and how much of this was, like, completely, like, off the cuff. Like, I was watching. Whenever f- he's go ahead. Whenever right. he's talking to the CEO of the film company while the boring old man is doing the dinosaur thing, um, and he, you know, he's like he makes Mick Rogers like or uh, Mr. Rogers like Mick Jagger. I mean, he's, I have to think that's just him off the cuff, just ripping something off the cuff with mm-hmm. his great, incredible timing and stuff. Well, there's a moment in there. I was watching the fun fact stuff and. The moment that he is caught by is it the social worker? I assume yes. That at his apartment where he's having to go back Ooh. and forth between between what? Go ahead, go Sorry, ahead. Sorry, Eric's getting so excited. But going back uh, and forth between being himself as well as pretending to be his sister, Mrs. Doubtfire, or like the character. Um, and he's got the pie in his face. He's reached in. His mask has fallen off. She's come in there, and all of a sudden he has to do something. So he shoves his face into a cake and then turns around. And he's got all this like white frosting all over to disguise himself, and then he says it's like a face mask or whatever. Teach me young dear, one drop or two. Yes. <laughs> well, like that scene originally, they said that they were going to do avocados, so there was supposed to be avocado in the fridge, and he was supposed to smear avocado all over his face. They said, and they tried it, and it just looked horrifying, like it was so scary looking, like with the green and everything else. So they went this route, and they said that on the studio where they were filming everything, it was really hot. So as he's making her tea, all of a sudden his face is just melting and dropping all in it. So all of that and his lines and everything were just um, improvised, talking about one drop or two. Oh, I'm sorry, there are two. There's another one. (laughs) Yep, and just keeps going. And honestly, as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God, that grosses me out. Like, I just can't imagine. But at the same time, like, it's just hilarious to know that he can just pull that off, walk right off the scene, and, like, that's the one we need to take. I can't believe we haven't mentioned that scene a little more as, like, a funny scene, like when Mm -hmm. he's trying to do the back and forth in his own house with the social worker sitting right out there. Um, and then, you know, the kids across the street are watching him and, you know, he loses his mask in the street. Do you need a hand? No, I don't need a hand. I need a face. I mean, (laughs) just, uh, some incredible, incredible comedy from him. Um, I really like, um, you know, I'm trying to find the quote when he was doing the dinosaur things, but he does a great Elvis impression. Mm -hmm. He does a rap on the fly. I mean, he's just, he's so funny. I mean, Robin Williams is just, is just a joy to watch. So, it's really inappropriate, so I'm going to be very vague about it. But the scene where the entire family is not at the dinner table except for Ms. Doubtfire and Stu. Yes. And she starts listing off things. I have it here. We're I wonder talk about if that was Robin Williams just riffing. Sure. Yes. Well, he I- had to have been just riffing. Like, like the number of things he makes up like that are euphemisms and then i wonder if pierce brosnan was just like trying so hard not to laugh i'll just read the first one because it's kind of uh, innocent sink the sub <laughs> we'll just we'll stop there mm. <laughs> well i feel like sink the sub 
I would love to just been in a room at some point in my life for Robin Williams as he just goes on. I know that, you know, there's such so much with, you know, comedians that they have that other side where they like have to feel like they have to make people laugh because they're so sad all the time. It's the same way that like, and not to reference it, but I feel like a lot of the reason I really like Robin Williams is because through my like parts in life with depression and anxiety too, I feel like that's how I've been. It's like I could, if I can make people laugh and do something else, I can get the focus off of this. And um, so I go to think about these things. Um, I go back to a scene where we've talked about Robin Williams and how he's treated Stu and everything else. But at the final moment, he sees Stu choking on the pepper shrimp that he's like practically killed the man with. And he comes running across. Now, that quote has been in my head my entire life. But it's like, help is on the way, dear. And like comes running and jumping over tables and carts to get there and save the man. Uh, I feel like it does at least show his heart in the mix of everything else where he realizes this could ruin everything. But at the same time, he still is a human and cares enough that he really, you know, it's one of the things you did in a moment and you probably didn't realize it was that serious of a situation. And now he's in the process of possibly dying and like you really screwed up and he's willing to put it all out there at that point to, you know, save this man's life. I think he even says something afterwards, like, Hey, no hard feelings or, Mm -hmm. um, I wonder like, this will be like an unanswered question. Like if in universe, Mm -hmm. did it, did he ever reveal he put the spice on the, uh, on the dish or on the meal? Um, or did they just kind of, he kind of, well, he says, he says, he says sorry about the pepper, and they shake hands. Um, so I guess that's, we're talking, that's his way of yeah. admitting it. So while we're talking about this, that right. shrimp is the best looking shrimp yes. I've ever seen in my life. Come like out whenever, of someone's mouth, yes. Well, not even that, but just like I remember that's always stood out to me. Just in the back when he's in the kitchen, and he puts that little bit of pepper on there, and everything else. I say a little bit is a lot, but like just how perfect those shrimp look. Also, the same food moment later or earlier in the movie where he orders all the takeout and sets up the dining room. How perfect that meal looks. It's like, I don't even know what half of that stuff is. Not even sure what it is, but it looks But incredible. it looks amazing. I like, would eat it or at least try it. Yeah, but just the food that they have in this movie is just top notch. It's like chef's kiss straight out of the chef's kitchen. Uh, I just want to be there. I want to try it. Um, but I don't know. Somebody else was talking about that online just about him choking on that shrimp. And I was like, I just can't get over how good the shrimp looked. Like, if I was allergic to pepper, I'd still try that shrimp just because it looked that good. Now, that's just me being a fat guy. But it was like, the shrimps looks good. I mean, shrimp's excellent. Um, one last thing I'll mention. Uh, I don't even know what we're talking about here. I think we're just riffing on the movie at this point. Well, it's fun. Um, but I um, I enjoy the fact that he made up a whole backstory for this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Winston, Doubtfire, mm-hmm. um, he, mm-hmm. he enjoyed the drink. It was the drink that killed him. Oh, he was an alcoholic. No, no, he was hit by a Guinness truck. Yes. It was literally the drink that killed mm-hmm. him. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's the whole part of it. Like, without him having the backstory, you don't believe that he's, she's really, you know, or he's Mrs. Doubtfire. You don't believe that she's a real person. Never again. I never once loved, once you, once your, their, your children's husband or father's out of the picture, it's a life of celibacy from here on out. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's the storytelling side of it where, you hear so much about Winston and everybody else that you just fully believe it. So it just ties in even more so. Plus, it's, you know, the prosthetics and makeup and everything else looks amazing. Um, the people I saw that did this also had done, like, Batman Returns. They won an Oscar for this movie. Yeah, they did, all yep. on, like, uh, makeup department. Yep. I think it said it's, like, four hours or so to put it together. Um, one thing I saw, and so I felt like we're just kind of throwing fun facts out there. You might as well. So instead of just trying to break it down to a section... There was a moment 
at the beginning of this where they had looked at making this, at least this is what I saw online, take it with a grain of salt, but home improvement was huge at the time. Yes. They wanted Tim Allen to be Mrs. Doubtfire, and they also were going to have this as a spinoff of home improvement where Tim and Jill are getting a divorce, and he dresses up as a woman to keep, you know, to stay in contact with his three boys from home improvement. Now, I don't know if there's glimpses of truth in that story if it's all true or what but i do know at least tim allen was very much favored to be this character at the beginning uh and i think about that and go back and same way you go back and look at some of tim allen's stand-up comedy and stuff like you know he's got a lot more in you know his bag of tricks other than just what you've seen on television but i think about this movie and these scenes like same way especially the scene where he's doing all the different makeups and all the different things and singing all the different songs and all the different voices. I don't think you could have gotten that with Tim Allen. And at the same time, it's not like Robin Williams came in and said like, Hey, let's do this scene. It's literally, they had this scene planned out and Robin Williams just came and just put his, you know, his talent into it where he was able to change into these different characters and see different people. Well, and that's some, that's part of the news that's been out the past week or so. Um, you know, the little revelation that, there is an R-rated cut of Mrs. Doubtfire out there mm-hmm. where they would shoot the take, and then part of the condition of Robin Williams taking the job is they'll shoot the take as is, and then he's allowed to riff for as long as he wants to after each take, and they'll film it. Mm-hmm. And then so that's how some of the scenes got in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the director revealed there is a there were five different cuts of the movie. There was a G-rated PG, PG-13, which is where they landed, are, and even an NC-17 version of this movie <laughs> where I was like, you know, we've we've seen the calls for uh, the DC fanboys to release the Snyder mm-hmm. Cut. Release the rated R cut of Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I think we, in the, uh, they've talked about it more in the same way what you're talking about is um, there were deleted scenes that we've come to see over the years or at least are come available to us um, and other cut scenes and things. Then, especially once Robin Williams passed away, even more so has come out since then because of, you know, everybody's wanting to see more of somebody once they pass away. Maybe like Prince or anybody musically talented dies. Everybody wants more and more of what, you know, and a lot of the times there are, you know, either songs that were completely that, you know, just put away or film or whatever else is put away in storage for these type of things or just extra that all of a sudden we get to see all of it because we miss the person that much. So they do come out with these things. Um, I don't know if we'll see a rated R Mrs. Doubtfire someday. Um, it wouldn't surprise me because the same way, you know, if the film's there, it's there. Um, especially if they put together a com- pretty complete version of it. Um, I feel like it all depends. I do know that they started back in like 2001. There was like talks of possibly doing a sequel um, and pushes for it. And it all kind of died out. Uh, and then 2014 came around, Robin Williams like gave his blessing, like, okay, we'll go ahead and do this. Uh, and they continued to really start pushing forward and making movement, and then he passed away that year. And it all just was kind of left from there. And I think now, though, um, they did end up proceeding and doing a musical with it. Uh, and I think they ha- were able to do, I think they said, three performances last year before COVID start- started on Broadway. And then they had to stop because of COVID, obviously. And so... That's all been kind of just out there. I don't know if there's any future plans, you know, as things come back together um, with, you know, being able to be around more people and such, if they'll come back with that or just, you know, we don't know because it's a world that's just full of unquestioned, you know, we don't know things right now, but I would love to see it at least if it did come back around. 
Ash, do you have any fun facts or anything you want to share that you've learned about the movie uh, in the course of our research this week? No. (laughs) (laughs) Good pulse there. No, I'm good. I'm good. The only other thing I saw, too, is this was originally a book. Yes. Um, Then it was based off of that. It's the same way I think the dad was actually an actor instead of a voice actor. Uh, But one thing that's noted differently from the book and the movie is Robin Williams is very, uh, with all of his makeup and everything else, he's very convincing as an elderly woman versus in the book, the dad was not so much so to the point that his two oldest kids recognized him right away as soon as they saw him. And somehow the mother was just oblivious to that. Um, And I like the way that they, you know, obviously I like the way they did it in this movie, but it also shows a little bit more respect for um, Sally Field's character because, you know, we are to believe she's a very smart, very strong businesswoman um, that has a lot on her. I could stand next to that person and not know who it was. You know, the same way the voice is there, makeup's all there, like it's completely convincing. I think if you had him barely made up enough just to get by, I think it would take away from her character where it would be like, how is she so smart yet can't see that's her husband? I um, mean, he went into a shop. Yeah. And was unrecognizable. Like, oh, like, for sure. I mean, just – so, yeah, it, it definitely plays into it. And there's clips, I think, of the same way back behind the scenes stuff before they got going with the movie where he came out dressed as that character, interacting with the child actors and talking with them, and they had no clue it was him yet. No clue. Um, and they just talked and talked forever, and it turned out that was him. Here's the other fun fact I found. Um, Mara Wilson did a fantastic job mm-hmm. uh, as little Natalie. Uh, she was uh, she had some good roles. Uh, Miracle 34th Street, uh, Matilda, and this were the most notable ones of her mm-hmm. uh, young career. Um, Blake Lively actually was the other finalist for this job, and she was a huge fan of Robin Williams from his time, uh, I believe, playing the genie in Aladdin. And maybe some other things, but um, she 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 was so nervous, and so Blake Lively's dad told, "No, well, he's not going to be there. That's not the you know that's his that's his twin. It's not the real Robin Williams. It's his twin. So don't be nervous." And it worked until Robin Williams came in and introduced himself as Robin Williams, and that really made her nervous. So she did not get the role. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So anything else? trying to think i feel like there's sometimes like we hit some really like just great moments and we talk about like the deeper thing things then it's like is there just something obvious out there that we're just missing that was really Did we good have any social me? media shout outs this week um we had a few uh let's see it's a holiday week so everybody's all just crazy and out there um i think comments were scattered across so i've got to pull it all around and find it um i know greg and caps or not greg and caps um hold on Greg and Huff had said, you know, because we asked about favorite lines or whatever, and she said all of them. She said, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, and I really like anytime I think of Rob Williams, especially like as I've gotten older, I feel like more movies stand out to me. But um, this is always one I go back to, especially from my childhood. Um, as I mentioned previously, April Phillips, you know, commented in the same way, you know, she said that the film was just not for her now. Um, just with the content of it that's so much different than what it was and she was you know, that she realized as a child or what maybe she saw on something else. And I respect that. Like, you know, you know, you make those decisions for yourself and that's you know, totally understandable. Uh and I you know, I even made the comment back to her is um it's so crazy to see uh 
we're losing Ashby, I think, a little better. Um, it's crazy to see um, a lot of these movies, especially us, what we do with the podcast, going back and watching a lot of these movies from our childhood. And to realize there's a lot of movies that are a lot different than what we remember from our childhood. Some of that's good and some of it's not so good. Like there's some movies we loved and all of a sudden they're just not good now. Like when you go back and watch it. Um, but then there's some like this one and Mr. Holland's Opus and some other great ones that we just dig into. And there's so much more to it than what we had, you know, originally seen ourselves um, from back in the day. Uh, on Instagram, Alicia Teagan said, you can just hear this. Hello. Um, and I feel like those are the two lines between that. And then, you know, help us on the way, dear. Just lines that stand out forever on this uh, 80s parody on Survivor. Commented, hashtag, release the rated R. Doubtfire cut. Um, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it's possible. It's not cut, and I think they've even said now. I saw it going around Instagram. I don't know if it's 100% true. I didn't really fact check anything. But they're talking about um, the Snyder universe is starting to live on or something. I think they're HBO Max or possibly another movie. But we'll get away from DC as... I don't know, the lone wolf here. Yes. Um, we're getting there. Facebook's just being slightly slow. Here we go. All righty. I say that as my phone stops. All right. Here we go. Joy Woods Wright says, I love, love, love this movie. Robin Williams is, of course, one of my favorites. But this was a great example of his talent and versatility. Hello is probably used in general conversations daily in our home. And I'm sure there has been more than one run by fruiting. I love how this movie really highlights that while not perfect, dads are people too and they can be loving and devoted to their kids. His methods are less are, are less say unconventional, but he manages to be there for his kids, which is just as uncommon. Sally Field is such an underrated actress. She has been in everything and is usually great at it. I love her reaction to the restaurant when she realizes it was him the whole time. I thought about that too and then Ashby when you were talking earlier about the moment that she's realizing it's him, you can tell at first she's like the whole time and it's just a very vague top level. And then she says it again. But then the third time she's like the whole time where it's like all of a sudden the realization is really hitting her. that This was not just all of a sudden, Oh man, this is, you know, whatever he was dressed up. Yeah. Oh no, we talked about this. Oh no, we've even more talked about this. And it's not even the talk, but it's almost like a horror movie that yes. honestly you change this movie around a little bit. This could be a very much easily a horror movie where all of a sudden this yeah. person has been portraying the entire time. Right. Then all of a sudden you see their face and you're like, yeah. oh my God, this person has been around me the entire time. And then she like freaks out and she's like, we have to go. We I have, have to go. Leave. We have to go. We have yes. to, I have to, we have to leave. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's totally understandable. Yeah. Um, Brittany Dennis says, I remember yeah. thinking how lucky those kids were to have a dad that loved them so much and how happy I was for him when he got his TV show. Um, Stephen Such says, I can never erase the image of James Bond choking on a shellfish. Uh, so I think those are our main comments that we had. Uh, you guys Facts. had chimed in and likes and everything else. Um, I don't know. I just, I really enjoy it. I thank you guys for tuning in with all that and reaching out with your comments too. It's definitely a movie, you know, I definitely recommend if you haven't seen it in a long time, take the time and go back and watch it. Uh, there's a lot of things like, I worked with uh, Roy Boswell, and his son is, I think, about to be seven. Um, and he's going through this a lot. Over the past couple of years, he'll be like, oh, we went to go watch this movie last night, and it's a lot worse than I remember. Like, not the movie quality, but the language or things that are involved in it. 
And he was like, because I remember he came and asked me one day, he's like, I know you're a big Mighty Ducks fan. Luke's been wanting to play hockey somewhere around the house. Like, do you think Mighty Ducks is worth watching or something safe to watch? And I was like, well, yeah, I think it is. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, well, he gets a DUI in the first 15 minutes. Um, and then it just proceeds from there. And there's just different things. In the same way, you know, you've got to judge your own, you know, parenting methods and what you want to do. But at the same time, like, you start realizing a lot of these things that I feel like we saw as kids, we just were oblivious to. You know, we just didn't know any better. But I feel like, too, you know, I don't even know. I don't know how to explain that. Like, I don't remember ever watching this with my parents. I don't remember sitting and watching Mrs. Doubtfire. But I do remember watching it with my sister. Uh, and so I feel like there's the relationship there. I don't, like I said, I don't think we ever saw it in the movies because of my age at the time it came out. But I feel like we had to have watched, you know, a cleaned over version on TV or something and enjoyed it. But I don't know. The fun times, folks. The fun times. Ah, Layla, get back to your cage. Don't make me get the hose. We want to thank Ricky Lyles for his contributions to our podcast. We want to thank you, the listener, for joining us tonight and in the future with our journey through pop culture and all the nostalgic things that we like to talk about. Next week, we are having a special little book club talking about our favorite books of all time. So bring your suggestions, people. Uh, we so excited. Cannot wait. Cannot wait for that for sure. Uh, until next time. Let's see if I can do this correctly. Until next time, stay as cool on as the other side of the pillow. On second thought, 911, 911, police, civic authorities, ASPCA, ASAP, murder, betrayal, kidnapped, no bad naps. <laughs> and we'll see you next week on the What the What podcast. What the what? Bye. <laughs>